0: Okay. Well, thanks very much, and uh, lovely to see you, and thank you very much for the invitation to come and uh, be with you. Um, Apologising for a reasonable faith, we've entitled the, the overarching series of talks, Reasonable Faith, uh, the title of uh, a very good book, which we've got on the bookstool, called Reasonable Faith by William Lane Craig, uh, so we kind of stole his title because he hadn't copyrighted it. Um And uh, we're going to start off by looking at the actual topic of apologetics, uh, what is it and what's uh, its sort of biblical foundation and justification and so on, before the following weeks then unpack various different apologetic topics like um, reasons for believing in God, uh, New Testament uh, evidence about Jesus and the resurrection and the biblical documents and so on, the problem of evil, all of those kind of things. Um, Apologetics is a pretty awkward word in the English language. Um, It sounds like our English word apologize uh, to say sorry for. It doesn't mean that. And it's also got a bad uh, kind of press through its use often in the media. Uh, to cast doubt on someone's position by saying basically that they're biased about it. You, know, you would say that, wouldn't you, because um, your company that's done this scientific research on this drug was paid for by the drug company. So you're an apologist for that company or whatever. It sort of uh, indicates bias and so on. Uh, and I hope to um, just spend 15 minutes kind of dispelling uh, some of the myths about what apologetics is and sharing with you some of the, the fruit of my recent uh, thinking and research on trying to uh, unpack a more rounded uh, definition and understanding of apologetics. Uh, I have for free uh, on the book table, which I, again, draw your attention to. There's free on there a paper that I've got in process that I'm hoping to get published in the next year on this topic, but I can only kind of skim the surface uh, of some of the material that I've been thinking about over the last few months about apologetics with you. As a Christian, I think that Christian spirituality is true. I think that it is good, and I think that it is beautiful at least in its correct and proper form. The New Atheists, you may have heard of the New Atheist Movement, headed up by people like Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, and so on, uh, are very clear in their writings and documentaries and so on that basically they think the opposite. They think that Christian spirituality is false, they think that it's evil, and consequently they think it's ugly. It was uh, an article by Gary Wolf in Wired magazine that gave the New Atheist movement their kind of moniker of the New Atheism, which is kind of stuck. And Gary Wolf sums up their approach uh, very neatly when he says the New Atheists condemn not just belief in God, but respect for belief in God. Religion is not only wrong, it's evil on their viewpoint. And the reason, primarily, I think, if you try and dig down to the heart of their accusations against uh, religion in general and Christianity in particular, the reason they think that uh, religion is evil comes down to their misunderstanding of what faith is and what it means. And they will time and time again give definitions of faith in their books, which run like this. Uh, New Atheist Richard J. Stanger says... Faith is belief in the absence of supportive evidence and even in the light of contrary evidence. Well, the British philosopher A.C. Grayling says faith is a commitment to belief contrary to evidence and reason. Well, if that's what you think to have faith means, then I'm not surprised that they're up in arms about people who have faith. It seems to me that these guys have just simply never opened up a Bible to verses like this, 1 Peter 3.15, which you might call the uh, Christian apologist's proof text verse. 1 Peter 3.15 from the New Testament says, Always be prepared to give an answer. And the Greek term that's translated in our English Bibles as answer is apologia, from which we get the term apologetics. An apologia uh, simply means a reasoned defence of a position and was a term that Peter had borrowed uh, from the law courts. Actually, it was what your uh, defence lawyer would do in a Greek or Roman court. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason. Again, reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. If I were to try and give a, a slightly more... Uh, philosophical analysis of what I would mean by faith I would put it like this any instance of an intellectual belief that something is the case plus a commitment to that thing that you believe is true or as a philosopher might say a belief in X as, a, as differentiated from a belief that X so when you have an instance of a belief that plus a belief in, then you have faith. So Christian faith is simply an intellectual belief that Jesus is uh, Lord and all the things that uh, the, the basic creeds of the church say that he is and so on, plus a commitment to or a belief in Jesus. And then you have faith in Jesus. And I think it should be fairly obvious that simply because you're combining your belief that something is true with a belief in it, or him, doesn't mean, certainly doesn't mean by definition, that your belief that Jesus has a certain nature, certain character and so on, must therefore be unsupported by evidence or must be something that you believe in the teeth of the evidence. just simply doesn't mean that. And even combining that belief with a belief in doesn't lead to that outcome I've been working on a a definition of what I call apologetics in 3D Um, definitions of apologetics often uh, concentrate on saying something like it's the uh, the rational defense of Christian truth claims or the the defense from objections and offering positive reasons to believe Christianity which is I think all well and good but I think we can do better with a slightly more rounded definition which has three parts and as uh, you'll see in my paper if you read each of these three parts itself has three parts so I'll only be able to skim the surface tonight I would define apologetics as the art of persuasively advocating Christian spirituality across spiritualities everybody has a spirituality uh, and they all make exclusive uh, truth claims uh, and we all disagree about those and we need to disagree agreeably about our spiritualities It's persuasively advocating Christian spirituality as being objectively true, objectively good, and objectively beautiful. And it's doing that through the responsible use of rhetoric. And I will say a few words about spirituality and Christian spirituality, a few words about truth, goodness, and beauty. It's the three classical values. And something very brief about rhetoric, and then I will be done. If we look back at 1 Peter 3.15, you'll notice that it mentions actions. Always be ready to give an answer, to give the reason for the hope. Do this. It's something that Christians are commanded by the Bible to do actively. Those actions you'll note, are based upon various attitudes that the verse talks about, the the reason for the hope that you have. So we have a a hopeful attitude uh, because of our relationship with God, that we have certain attitudes of gentleness towards the people that we're engaging in dialogue with, and respect, a term that is uh, related to our relationship with God as we do that relationship. And it talks, of course, about beliefs and, and ideas and the, the life of the mind, being prepared to give an answer, an apologia, with reasons. So we have here beliefs coupled with attitudes leading to actions. And actually, that would be the definition I would give of any spirituality. Any spirituality, be it Christian or non-Christian, uh, would uh, combine a set of beliefs about reality with attitudes which together naturally lead you to acting in a certain way in the world. Uh, A spirituality is a way of relating to reality. Uh, That's to ourselves, each other, the world around us, whatever we conceive of ultimate reality as being. And we do that via our worldview beliefs, our attitudes and our behavior. And uh, you could kind of put it into a circle like this. It becomes a sort of self-reinforcing loop where your beliefs and your attitudes lead to actions and so on. And you can divide that up, as the Bible sometimes does, into faith and works. Faith being your beliefs plus your commitment. Belief that plus belief in. Which leads you to do certain things. Now, I don't think that definition of spirituality... Um, is particular to Christian spirituality. That's a general framework that different uh, spiritualities will fill out in different ways in those categories. But you can see that it fits very much with Jesus's uh, definition of true spirituality, if you like, uh, from the Bible, where he talks about loving God. It's the, the primary commandment. Loving God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. That is, with all of your... Uh, attitudes, with all of your worldview, your beliefs, your thinking, and with all of your actions. So Christian spirituality, again, is loving God with all of your spirituality and loving your neighbour as yourself. Hence apologetics. If you believe that Christianity is true, is good, and is beautiful, and is wonderful... Well, and you love someone else, you would want to share something that you think is great with them. And you would want to share it in the best way that you can. A few words about truth, goodness and beauty. This is just a quote from philosopher John Cottingham uh, from the Times a couple of years ago. He says, to everyone's surprise, the increasing consensus among philosophers today is that some kind of objectivism of truth and of value is correct. That is, he explains truth, beauty and goodness carry with them a sense of requirement or demand. The true is that which is worthy of belief. The beautiful is that which is worthy of admiration. And the good is that which is worthy of choice. Again, very much skimming the surface but you, I'm sure you can unpack some of this uh, in question time a classic source of rhetoric go to Aristotle's famous book on rhetoric Aristotle, famous Greek philosopher who defined rhetoric as the power to observe the persuasiveness of which any particular matter admits so it's an, an objective skill of looking at a particular matter and finding what is persuasive about it and then communicating that well to an audience Uh, particularly through uh, his three uh, classic elements of good rhetoric, uh, ethos, pathos, and logos. quick quote from the rhetoric where he talks about of the modes of persuasion furnished by the spoken word, there are three kinds. The first kind, ethos, depends upon the personal character of the speaker. The second, pathos, on putting the audience into a certain frame of mind, And the third, logos, on the proof, the kind of logical, rational proof provided by the words of the speech itself. Uh, Interestingly to me, I found that Paul, uh, in his uh, letter to the Colossians, chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, talks about these three elements of good rhetoric when he's giving advice about communicating the gospel. He doesn't mention them by name, but he clearly mentions those elements, and he mentions them in the same order that Aristotle mentions them in the rhetoric. Paul says, when you're with unbelievers, always make good use of the time. Well, how? What does that mean? Be pleasant. Have good ethos. uh, And hold their interest when you speak the message. Be interesting and engage them as a whole person. Uh, Have good pathos. And choose your words carefully, And be ready to give answers, again, apologia, to anyone who asks questions. That's a matter of logos, good rationality. Now you'll notice back to 1 Peter 3.15 when we talked about how it has mention of beliefs, attitudes and actions, how this fits the idea of spirituality. It also fits logos, pathos and ethos in the same order. Those match up with each other. So to unpack the definition that I started with, with those things now in your minds, as it were, I would view apologetics as the art of persuasively advocating Christian spirituality because you believe that it's true and good and beautiful, across spiritualities to to people who disagree with you, as objectively true and good and beautiful, in what other good reasons would there be for, for committing to this and wanting to share it with other people, through the responsible use of rhetoric, uh, those three uh, elements that Aristotle and Paul talk about. And you can tabulate these all together very nicely and neatly in a, in a sort of chart like this. And I think if you're looking and considering Christian spirituality and thinking, do I really believe it? Uh, uh, should I embrace it or not? You're looking at any spirituality, be that Christian spirituality or the spirituality of the new atheists. You want to think to yourself... What do they believe about reality and judge their beliefs by, do you think they're true? Not, are they socially acceptable? Not, are they useful to you? Not, do they make you feel warm and fuzzy? But are they true? And you need to communicate those ideas well with people. In terms of attitudes, people's attitudes and the attitudes towards reality that seem to go with a worldview, with the spirituality, judge it by, is it beautiful? And in terms of actions, of course, judge them by, well, are they good? And it's a whole package of spirituality directed at a whole person. We're not just you know, rational calculating machines. Neither are we just um, non-rational sort of uh, emotional creatures, affections and so on. There's a whole mix where these things actually come together into a matrix of uh, good uh, reasons Uh, and uh, the beauty and the goodness of what you're considering buying into or not buying into. To finish with a a quote from uh, 20th century evangelist Francis Schaeffer that very much goes with this view of apologetics that I've been uh, working out and expanding. He says, If Christianity is truth, it ought to touch the whole of life. Christianity must never be reduced to merely an intellectual system Although it is an intellectual system. After all, if God is there, it isn't just an answer to an intellectual question, although it is. We're called upon to adore Him, to be in relationship with Him, and incidentally or consequently, to obey Him. So, this is a matter for the whole uh, person that affects the whole of life and not just an intellectual uh, game or exercise. But we do need to exercise our intellects in doing it. Thank you.